MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, June 29th, 2020. Today, major news this weekend as we learn from the New York Times that Trump was briefed on intelligence that Russia paid the Taliban bounties on U.S. and NATO forces in Afghanistan. Record-setting coronavirus cases in multiple states are now surpassing New York's previous numbers and causing states to shut back down. The Coronavirus Task Force held its first briefing in two months, and it was full of lies. Jack Abramoff is charged with crimes under the law named after him. The House passed D.C. statehood. SCOTUS blocks vote-by-mail in Texas. Facebook will start flagging hate posts. An update on Roger Stone going to prison. Another Trump campaign associate is sentenced to prison. The Department of Justice files a brief to gut the Affordable Care Act. Mississippi votes in a veto-proof majority to remove the Confederate emblem from the state flag. Workers removed social distancing stickers from Trump's Tulsa rally. A man fires into a crowd protesting the shooting of Breonna Taylor. And Trump retweets a video of a Florida man chanting white power. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Uh, We have major, major news for you today from the weekend, including a pair of stories from The New York Times alleging intelligence officials briefed the White House and Trump and Pence and the NSC that the Kremlin, specifically the GRU, paid bounties to Taliban terrorists to murder U.S. and U.K. military personnel in Afghanistan. And some of those bounties were collected and there were casualties, according to a European intelligence official that spoke to CNN. Uh, Shortly, uh, in the A Block, I will be speaking with Obama's ambassador to Russia and the author of From Cold War to Hot Peace, Mike McFall. Uh, We're going to discuss this reporting, including what else was going on during this time in March and leading up to it. Uh, because I think contextual history is vital here. Uh, And we're also going to talk about the response from the White House and the press secretary and Trump himself. And then after that, I'll be joined by Jordan Coburn from News from Under the Radar. And of course, we'll wrap things up with your good news stories from the weekend. And thanks to the hundreds that joined us on Friday for our live stream on Crowdcast. We look forward to seeing you again this Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific time for patrons and 5 p.m. for the public. If you're interested in becoming a patron, head to patreon.com slash thedailybeans. Uh, Later this week, you'll be able to sponsor a patron that otherwise might not be able to afford to pledge during this crisis. So thanks to all of our patrons that have already done so. Uh, As you uh, may have noticed in the intro, we have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So joining me today to discuss the major breaking news story from the weekend is author of From Cold War to Hot Peace, an American ambassador in Putin's Russia, the former ambassador to Russia in the Obama administration, Mike McFall. Michael, thanks for taking time to speak with me today. Sure. Thanks for having me. So uh, the big story from the weekend, obviously, is that the White House was apparently briefed in March that GRU officials offered and paid bounties to the Taliban to hunt and kill NATO forces, including U.S. and U.K. soldiers, troops. Um, a menu of responses was offered, and apparently the administration had did and has done nothing. And now we have European intelligence telling CNN that the GRU did result in casualties. And I was wondering what your top-line reaction to this information. Is this typical GRU? No, it's not typical GRU uh, to speak about things that I can speak about. Um, uh, it's outrageous behavior, of course. I think it follows a pattern of escalation of risky belligerent behavior that we've seen from Vladimir Putin going all the way back to Georgia in 2008, but really uh, significantly changing when he annexed Crimea in 2014. He then intervened in our elections in 2016. He's tried to assassinate people around the world, including in the United Kingdom in 2018. Uh, and now this is just one more, I think, really over-the-top belligerent act- action, if it's true. We, I need, need to keep saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to underscore, this is behavior that we did not see even from the Soviet Union in the last couple of decades during the Cold War. And I'm very surprised, therefore, at what a tepid reaction we've had from the United States and the Trump administration so far. Yeah, and I think we're just getting new reporting um, from Jim Shuto, uh, CNN, saying that we actually, uh, there were forces and commandos in Afghanistan that had warned about this, um, these bounties uh, as early as January. And, and I think what we really, you know, should 
be thinking about is really establishing a timeline by bringing people in to have them testify as to who knew what when and who was briefed by whom at what time, because so many other things were going on in in March, from January to March. We had the impeachment. Um, we have uh, the, the pandemic was just kicking up. Trump fired the director of national intelligence in February, McGuire, and then you know, McGuire penned that op-ed about Trump gutting the National Counterterrorism Center, and he fired multiple inspectors general, including one at the Pentagon. So now here we are also on our fourth National Security Council Russia director. So uh, I'm kind of trying to put this in contextual perspective with all these other things that were going on at the time. Well, I think that's an excellent point because there were so many uh, things going on, many of them self-induced, right? Many of them <laughs> generated by Trump, but not all of them. Uh, and I, I completely agree that we need people to testify so that we know what people knew when they did know it. Uh, but I also want to underscore, I worked at the National Security Council for three years, uh, in the first three years of the Obama administration as the top Russia person. And if I received this piece of intelligence, and I would have uh, in that job, uh, I just can't imagine a scenario, no matter how many other things are going on in the world, that we would not have debriefed the president of the United States about it. He is the commander-in-chief after all. These are American soldiers serving our country overseas. And if there are threats to them, uh, the president of the United States needs to know that. So, so the alibi that they're using today that the president wasn't briefed, I think is just as damning as the, you know, the original uh, um, accusation or reporting uh, in the New York Times. Uh, if, the, if the president didn't know about it, that means he's not doing his job as well. Yeah, and I, I, I had to stop to think, too, because I was wondering, could the lack of experience and or the revolving door of the NSC Russia director, we've had four now, uh, could that have led to, to the president actually not being briefed on this? Well, maybe. Um, although, you know, back in the Obama administration, I really don't understand how it works today. I want to underscore that. But, you know, when uh, the president was briefed in the PDB, uh, the intelligence community had a direct shot at the president. Um, you know, NSC officials would participate in that, but they always prepared the PDB independent of the National Security Council. That was a reform done uh, uh, during, uh, you know, the Bush administration. So. I also want to know, you know, it's been reported that it was in his PDB. Uh, I read that reporting. But we also know that the president doesn't read his P PDB that often and only does it two or three times. So obvious, well, I shouldn't say obviously. One possible theory is that there was a breakdown in communications uh, between the, the advising staff, principally the NSC, and the intelligence community. But I even, you know, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, in between the time that allegedly we, they received this intelligence, uh, there's been some major policy decisions made. One was to invite Vladimir Putin to the G8. Uh, two was an announcement to pull troops, uh, reduce the number of troops in Germany. And in a normal procedure, you would never make those kinds of decisions, you know, ultimately with the president making those decisions without him being briefed about other Russian behavior that might be at odds with those decisions. So either, you know, they're not telling us uh, what actually happened uh, and that the president was briefed on it, and they're just, they're just steering us in a different direction. By the way, there's a lot of context for that, too. I'm staring at a book right now on my desk called Donald Trump and His Assault on Truth uh, from the fact-checker team at the Washington Post, and they start their book by listing, I'm just going to look at it right now, uh, 16,000 falsehoods, right? So you don't really get the benefit of the doubt in that context. But if the, the other story is true, uh, it's really shocking to me that a decision like inviting President Putin back to the G8 could be made um, and the president not being briefed on this intelligence. That's really a failure of his national security team. Well, right, because we do know he, he has a history of making decisions without consulting anyone. Uh, you know, so if he missed this brief, it was in his PDB, he didn't read it, somebody told him he wasn't listening. Uh, and then 
it gets to the point where uh, he cut talks to Putin and, and wants to withdraw troops from Germany and, uh, all, you know, then, uh, you know, all of a sudden wants to invite him back to the G7, uh, then... You know, we have a scenario where he might have just announced that without consulting any of his intelligence uh, experts. Uh, that's very plausible. You're right about that. And we know from past experience that he, you know, makes decisions without a kind of normal process. So that could be true. And by the way, just, you know, we're speculating, of course, but mm -hmm. um, let's also just underscore how it is against the law to provide this top secret information to the New York Times and other people. Uh, and that must mean to me that those who did that were so alarmed by the inattention uh, that the senior figures in the administration, including the President of the United States, were giving to this intelligence that they went to that extraordinary act of leaking secret material. I, I myself feel very uncomfortable anytime secret materials leak to the press. Uh, and I just have to imagine that they think that that was the only way to make sure that this got the attention that they felt it deserved. Yeah, it is really, really shocking. And I mean, another factor in all this, too, and Mueller said this when he testified last July, was a single most important thing to protect ourselves against Russian aggression was to have a communicative uh, intelligence community. And I think at this time, at least when this briefing was supposed to happen, I believe we had Rick Grinnell, who has zero experience, sort of a placeholder and a yes man. And that is just adds to the concern for me. But like you said, if this was missed and nothing was done, and even when learning about it this weekend, nothing has been said, and they haven't contradicted the intel either, that is just an abject failure of foreign policy. Well, yes. I mean, there there could be, you know, the hypothesis we're discussing that there this somehow fell through the cracks. It seems extraordinary to me mm -hmm. that that might happen. Uh, but then that needs to be interrogated and, and figure out why that happened. But secondly, as you just underscored, uh, they are not denying it. Uh, I've read, you know, the statements that they've made. They are not denying that this intelligence is accurate. And therefore, it begs the question, why hasn't a senior administration official, including the president of the United States, come out and denounced what President Putin and his surrogates are doing in Afghanistan? It is quite, it's just shocking to me that there hasn't been a reaction. And, and you know, talk is cheap. It's very easy. I used to write them all the time. Uh, to write a statement on behalf of the President of the United States, and it's easy to get out on a Sunday um, and, and put that marker down, and it is very striking to me that they have chosen not to do that, uh, nor have many other people chosen to do it, uh, to, to speak out about it. Uh, you know, some some people in the Congress have, some Republicans, I, I guess, I've seen tepid statements, but this is kind of a no-brainer. Uh, if, a, if a government, if a foreign government is putting bounties on the heads of American soldiers to kill them, uh, Taliban terrorists are giving money to kill American soldiers, uh, that should be something that could easily unite all Americans to say this is outrageous behavior and it demands a response. Right, which makes the lack of a response just so much more stunning. Um, but also in a pattern of behavior that we have seen from this administration going back quite a while. Well, that's true. I would say generally that's true. A lot of disorganization um, and mixed messaging. But when it comes to Russia and Putin, it's it's most disorganized. You have, you know, I, you know, I know some people in the administration and I know a lot of people that used to be in the administration, work in the administration. Some of them now work with me here at Stanford. Um, I don't think there's a lot of disagreement among national security types in the Trump administration and out about the threat that, that Vladimir Putin presents to American national security interests, uh, with one exception. There's one person that disagrees, and he just happens to be the president of the United States. And so in that way, this particular uh, chapter fits a pattern uh, where he just refuses to say anything. Uh, to criticize Vladimir Putin. He'll criticize everybody else. I mean, you know, sometimes he spends his whole day on Twitter criticizing all kinds of random people. But when it comes to Vladimir Putin, he has, to the best of my knowledge, he has never said 
an unkind word about the Russian president. Yeah, and if this is all true and correct, then it's an incredible illustration of how dangerous it is to have someone be compromised. You know, I mean, we can talk about Michael Flynn uh, or the president of the United States, but these are the kinds of things, if true, as you said, that become massive problems when you have a person who is who is compromised by a foreign adversary. Well, whether he's compromised or not, I'll lead to others who are more expert. I don't know that myself personally, but I do know that President Trump's approach towards dealing with Vladimir Putin does not serve American national security interests. And we use that phrase, national security interests, rather abstractly, right? Uh, at least I in the government and I as a professor do. Uh, but when you're talking about assassinations in countries are, that are allied with us, it's not abstract. That is not in America's national interest. When we're talking about annexation in Ukraine, that's not in America's national interest. Interference in our elections. And now on top of that all, we have reporting that Russian President Vladimir Putin is paying Taliban and to the best of my knowledge, they're still listed as a terrorist organization by the United States government, despite negotiations with them. He is paying those people to kill Americans, Americans who have served our country, who have signed up to serve our country and to protect our country. Just think about how outrageous that is. That is not doing your job. That is a dereliction of duty if you are the commander of chief. And I, and I really hope the president or somebody around him will help them understand why that is true and they'll respond in, in the way that we should expect our commander-in-chief to respond to such a dastardly act against our soldiers in the field. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. I just feel like anyone that uh, might have done that has been fired. Um, but one, one, one last question before I let you go. Um, uh, regarding the the quote-unquote leak, the leaking of this information by this intelligence community uh, official, and you must have better insight than most on this uh, regarding the urgency. What would have stopped this official from going through the normal, uh, not normal, but the the process of uh, whistleblowing, the, the official, you know, the official process? What could have stopped that? That's an excellent question, and I don't have an excellent answer. Other than, uh, you know, other whistleblowers have not been treated very well. Mm. Uh, talked to Lieutenant Colonel Vindman about that. Um, uh, the process is broken down. Inspector generals, as you noted earlier, have been fired. And so maybe that just seems like a path that is not, um, you know, usable uh, in this current administration. But I, but I want to underscore, I don't know the answer. I'm just uh, speculating there. Uh, but I do want to underscore having seen this kind of intelligence um, and in the old days to leak this kind of intelligence to the press is a an, an really extraordinary uh, act that people go to jail for. I mean, that you go to jail for that. It is an extraordinary act. Um, and, and I think it just underscores, you know, how outrageous uh, somebody must have thought that the, the higher-ups, the decision-makers, not the intelligence officers, the decision-makers were not appropriately treating this, this very sensitive information. Yeah, exactly. And I imagine Trump and Barr will probably go after this person pretty hard. So we will see what happens in the coming weeks. Um, but I, I do appreciate you answering my questions. This is a, a big story. We need to keep pushing it out there. Uh, so thank you for that. Author of From Cold War to Hot Peace, you can find him on Twitter at McFall, former ambassador to Russia, Mike McFall. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, everybody, we'll be right back with news from under the radar. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, friends, it's AG. And today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Uh, I bet you a lot of our listeners are sleeping on saggy trash mattresses with springs poking you in the back and uh, have giant pockets and puts a crick in your spine. And you deserve better than that. Our listeners have earned a guilt-free good night's sleep just for being on the right side of history and resisting these insane times. Uh, after working this hard and being this stressed, you deserve to give yourself an upgrade in the relaxation department. We spend a third of our lives in bed. I highly recommend Helix Sleep. We talk about it. We rave about our mattresses. We all have them. They're incredible. Best mattresses ever. Uh, made the difference 
difference for me personally because they understand that each one of us is unique. We all sleep differently, and they customize their mattress to fit the way you sleep best. So why would you buy a generic off-the-rack mattress built for everyone else when you can get one designed just for you? Uh, whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, you sleep on your back, or you like a, a super soft bed or a firm bed. With Helix, there is no more confusion, no more compromising. Uh, they match your body type and sleep preferences to the best mattress for you. So just go to helixsleep.com dailybeans. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Honest. Uh, Helix Sleep was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it for 100 sleeps risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. No weird restocking fees, but you will love it, I promise. Uh, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It is time for news from Under the Radar. And today I am joined by Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan. Hey, how's it going? Good. Did you have a good weekend? Um, Yes, I did. Yeah, I good. just kind of chilled. Everybody is very much staying inside again, as they should be, so I was just kind of following suit on that. Yeah, Gavin Newsom just shut down bars and nightclubs again in, in I think, nine counties, San Diego not included, but um, could be any time now, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. I think just, I just saw two Imperial County just mm -hmm. got ordered to mm -hmm. go back into lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yep, Imperial is one of them. Which is, like, right next to us, right? Yes. Yes, indeed. That is like the whole El Centro, Central Valley um, situation, sitch between here and Yuma. Yeah. I was booked on a comedy show on Friday and Saturday at the Comedy Palace, and I, I canceled super last minute, which is a shitty thing to do if you're an aspiring stand-up comic listening. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, just with all the news coming out of all the cases going up and stuff, it just it just seemed like a bad time to to go back. Nothing against the Comedy Palace or anything. This all is very strange, but but yeah. So my weekend got freed up because of that. Yeah, ah, yeah. It's the Fourth of July weekend, and um, our network just texted me. Our network guy just texted me. Are you taking any days off? And I'm like, for what? <laughs> like. <laughs> Where am I going to go? Um, so let's kick it off. We've got some headlines here. If any of you watched Maddo last Friday, you saw her lead about Jack Abramoff. It was probably some of the best reporting I've seen in a while, although I think the lead should have been the Russia story. Um, but that was just sort of breaking at that at that moment as she, uh, you know, right before she went on air. But her Jack Abramoff lead was incredible. So in 2006, Jack Abramoff was charged and imprisoned for bilking indigenous people by threatening their casinos and then providing a service to, you know, that they would pay him to stop the threats against their casinos. It was like a he was coming at it from both sides. Um, and he and several Bush administration officials went to prison for that stunt. You ever see the memes where they're like, how many people were indicted and went to prison in the Obama administration? Zero. How many from Bush? You know, 12. A lot of them came from this Ab Abramoff lobbying problem. And in response to this crime, this dastardly bullshit, uh, Congress passed a law requiring lobbyists to register. Um, and this is a law passed because of Jack Abramoff, and that was uh, a while back. Well, now the Department of Justice has charged the first person for breaking the Abramoff law, and that person is Jack Abramoff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was lobbying without registering by having someone else lobby on his behalf in a cryptocurrency conspiracy case. Uh -huh. um, San, San Francisco U.S. Attorney David Anderson said at a press conference that Abramoff was charged with a criminal conspiracy to make false and misleading statements to potential buyers of cryptocurrency. Bloomberg News. This is from Bloomberg News. Uh, the prosecutor said Abramoff agreed to plead guilty and could face up to five years in prison. So... Uh, as Maddo said on the Friday show, the first person to be charged uh, in the, uh, you know, uh, lobbying law created because of Abramoff is Abramoff. So congratulations, um, Mr. Abramoff. What a boring mystery whodunit that is. It was exactly the guy <laughs> you would have expected. And let's see behind who's behind the mask. Oh, it's the same fucking face. All right. Guess we can go home now. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if, like, the, they they found all of these like criminal crumbs, and they were like, "We should probably call Jack Abramoff first to make sure it's not him." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, wow. And b- before I hand it over to you in a separate suit, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, is also sued Abramoff, asserting he participated in a fraudulent and unregistered offer and sale of digital asset securities. So go Bitcoin. Yep. Just the most privy new world to different types of crimes. It seems like that's going to be a never ending train. Brand new in so many ways to criminalize it. Yeah, and it's it's kind of scary how technology advances so quickly that we can't keep up with the laws to regulate it. Um, yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that goes. What do you what do you have for us, Jordan? Uh, I have a piece of news coming out of Washington D.C. The House Democrats they approved a bill to admit Washington D.C. as its own state on Friday, and it's not going to go through with Republicans at all. Uh, <laughs> that could be expected, I think, but. Pretty much what it would do is it would take all of the areas that exist around the White House, Capitol Building, Supreme Court, and other federal buildings that are along the the National Mall. It would that would that would become the federal capital, and then the rest of the city would just become the fifty first state. And the proposed name would be Washington Douglas Commonwealth, and that would be named after Frederick Douglass, uh, the abolitionist. And there was one Democrat that sided with Republicans against it, and then Justin Amash also voted no. Wait, wait, let me guess. Was it Manchin? It was not. It was Colin Peterson of Minnesota. Only Democrat to join Republicans in voting against it. The vote was 232 to 180. I'm sorry. This is the House. Manchin is a senator. Mm -hmm. My bad. No worries. Um, Yeah, so speaking of the Senate, there would be two senators allocated then if it becomes its own state as opposed to the house the single house rep that they have right now that doesn't even have the ability to vote so we'll see where that goes probably nowhere tom cotton tom cotton came out and said there's a liberal fight just to you know get more democrat votes in the you know in congress tom cotton uh, was a tea party darling he was supported by the tea party and the boston tea party uh, had a central theme. And I tweeted at Adam. I was like, aren't you, didn't the Tea Party put you into power? What was that Boston Tea Party about? I can't, you know, I think something about taxation and representation. It'll come to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is the whole fucking thing, was taxation without representation. We've had it in D.C., which is has more population than Wyoming. Uh, and it, it's, so I'm, I'm very glad about this vote. It will not make it through the Senate. Uh, you're right. I don't think it's going to make it through the Senate and, and, and Trump wouldn't sign it anyway. Yeah. But it happened in the house with the Democrats. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Another one of the, to add to the pile of hundreds of bills sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk that will go nowhere. Yep. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for that. Hey, you remember the guy, uh, George Nader? The guy mm-hmm. who struck a deal with a Mossad op called in Israel called Psy Group to provide social media manipulation for the Trump campaign and paid them two million in Bitcoin right after the election. Uh, well, this January, he pleaded guilty to possession of child pornography and transportation of a minor for sex. And he was just sentenced uh, to 10 years in prison, which is the minimum sentencing recommendation. I think he should be in prison for life. But here we have another Trump associate headed to prison. Damn. Do we know when he reports? No, that's uh, that. I I didn't see that date. Damn, that's a win. Yeah, I mean, I wish it was more than ten years. Ten years in federal prison. I'll I do I do too. But I'll fucking. This is the sad place it puts us in at this point. I'll take it. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So I think this is uh, conviction number nine of Trump campaign associates. <laughs> Something mm-hmm. fucking ridiculous that everyone is. Yep. Too busy fielding other news stories to to uh, to notice. You know? mm-hmm. That guy's name is all over the Mueller report and investigation too. We were talking about him all the time on the podcast. It felt, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Two million he paid uh, in November of 2016 uh, to Joel Zamel. Uh, if you remember that guy, he was uh-huh. in the Trump Tower meeting on August 3rd, and uh, and so. T- and by the way, he's he was worth three million. So two million, a two million payout uh, <laughs> wasn't just like a drop in the bucket. So isn't it nice to know that if these people can't get sacked in federal courts, at least uh, we know or at least for their white collar crimes, at least we know they're also pedophiles and they're going down mm-hmm. one way or another. That's a weird thing yeah. to rest easy with. You can always <laughs> count on them committing other egregious offenses that have more of a history of being prosecuted 
in a way that can't be interfered with as much. Manafort went down for tax crimes and business fraud, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's there's always some other crime, Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, and generally that's I mean that's how the system of justice works. You get criminals plead guilty to lesser crimes to roll them on bigger fish. So we'll just you know. Have to wait and see what uh, Nader, um, who has pleaded guilty, uh, if he offered any uh, additional information on what happened with Zamel and the August 3rd Trump Tower meeting and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, what, uh, what, uh, what's your next story? I got some Facebook stuff coming out. So you know how Twitter did the thing with their posts where if it was advancing, you know, any sort of violent sentiments that reached a certain threshold for their protocols for how they want to allow people to communicate on that platform, they would leave the tweet up and then have the notice in front of it saying that, you know, they're going to leave it up for public interest reasons just so they can see that that person said those words, but then they disable mm-hmm. any of the retweeting features or anything and they and they put that label on it basically that it was, you know, marked as this inflammatory language that they do not... Except um, on their on their platform, and they don't want it to be spread. So Facebook pretty much is turning around and now doing the same thing. After for a long time, Mark Zuckerberger, Mark Zuckerberger, <laughs> Zuckerberger, Zuckerberger. <laughs> oh God, Z- Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg was uh, really yeah. He was just being a fucking troll, honestly refusing to put any sort of limit on the president's hate speech or speech that was inciting violence there's really no other way to put it like he got zuckerberg got a bunch of shit rightfully so after trump tweeted his uh when the looting shorts uh, sh- <laughs> when the looting shorts ag ag oh god what is happening truly okay i get so many emails about this i just want people to know i have like a legitimate like auditory and language like processing disorder so let's uh let's uh just cool it with the emails when the looting sharts okay just Mm. take that as a gift for you Mm. to laugh at me and i'll continue here Mm. we can take all of that out I'm no. gonna leave that up to you. Anyway, God, the tweet says, "Any difficulty, and we will assume control." But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. It was that tweet. That's gonna be a tweet that lives in infamy. I believe Zuckerberg did nothing to label that tweet as any sort of violation of. Uh, violent or hateful speech so now after he's facing all these advertisers that are boycotting advertising on facebook some of which include names like verizon which is obviously fucking huge um Mm. now he's starting to sort of switch his opinion on that and is saying he's going to start putting those flags on posts that are like that so i think that's a win in terms of public outcry for how he should be running that platform but it is very late in the game for him to just now be doing that. Yeah, well, it hit his pocketbook. Their, their stock tanked. He lost $6 billion over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So now he's like, oh. Um, all right. Well, and I don't I don't like the thing that they leave it up and it's up to the user to click to read the truth. That's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, whatever. Um, uh, my story here from the Washington Post. Amid ongoing national protests against racial injustice, Mississippi state lawmakers have paved the way for legislation to remove the Confederate symbol from the state flag. On Saturday, the Republican-led House of Representatives and the Senate voted by a two-thirds majority veto-proof to clear the path for a vote on the measure that would remove the current flag and replace it with a new design free of Confederate iconography. Um, after the votes were announced in each chamber, applause broke out. And earlier in the day, Governor Tate Reeves, a Republican, indicated he will sign the bill to change the flag if one makes it to his desk. That's a shift from his previous position that voters should decide whether to change the flag. Um, Saturday's vote was procedural. Uh, It was necessary so that legislators could consider a bill changing the flag. And that measure, which requires a simple majority rather than a two-thirds vote, seems likely to pass and could be debated as early as today, Sunday, when we record this. 
Um, the bill or it would call for the immediate removal of the existing flag and the creation of a new one, a commission to design a new one. They stipulate the words, in God we trust, must be included on the new flag, and that it not include the Confederate battle flag. Th- those are their two stipulations. Um, we want God on it and no Confederate flag on it. Um, it would go before voters for approval in November. If the voters reject the, de- the new design, a commission would create a new one, meeting the same requirements. So... Congratulations, Mississippi. Uh, I'm I'm frankly surprised, hap- but like pleasantly surprised that they got a two thirds um, supermajority vote in Ruby Red, Mississippi. So well mm-hmm. done. Definitely, there's so much cultural shift that needs to happen around the Confederate flag and Confederate monuments. Still, I remember I was working a music festival called Stagecoach. It's like a country music festival that happens the weekend after Coachella, and. I was working there and I remember looking around at some of the vendors and pretty much all of them, if they were selling anything that was made out of cloth, there was Confederate flag versions of everything that they were selling. And it was like so bizarre. Even, I mean, that's, that's nothing that's tied to any sort of federal or, or, you know, local entity, but it's just, I mean... I guess it's a free market. You're allowed to sell that shit. But the fact that the organizers of the festival let that go unchecked as well, that's something that also needs to change. It's an entirely cultural shift that has to happen and that can't just start and stop at these you know, government levels, although it 100% needs to start there and be happening there simultaneously when it's happening everywhere else. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, my story is really sad at a protest in louisville a gunman opened fire into a crowd of protesters on saturday night and they killed one person and another was injured this happened at night like i said and now louisville police are saying that during the day people will be allowed to still protest peacefully but during the nighttime everybody has to leave because they basically are just saying that now the precedent's been set that it becomes violent and unsafe at night and Uh, They can't stay in the park overnight, and they can't erect any tents of any kind, was the language that they used. Uh, Their statement says, While most protesters in the park have been largely peaceful, things changed last night when shots rang out in the park, leaving one dead and one other shot. We are now clearing the park, and it will stay cleared. That was announced after the incident. Um, I think it's obviously incredibly tragic there's not a lot of details right now about the motive of the person that that shot i only read a description of the person but that seems kind of pointless to to say um but yeah it's it's just really it's really sad when this happens Uh, this was a crowd protesting the murder of brianna taylor Mm -hmm. um and if somebody was against the protest of her murder, I can probably guess what side his bread is buttered on, and that it's a and that it, it that their pronouns are he him. But again, we don't want to make any assumptions. Um, we'll I think we'll wait for more details on that. But it is incredibly sad. Yeah, the preservation of these protests is it's when it when police declare something as like unlawful or you know unable to be had basically is when stuff starts escalating too and that makes me nervous because they've been there protesting the death of the murder of brianna taylor every day i read so they've been there every day and so now that this happened it's going to take away the momentum that the people have built there in a way that i know is incredibly important to them and it's also very important to the country so this is just a loss on on so many different sides it's a really sad headline to report yeah agreed and um and i mean trump right now um this sort of ties into my last story trump is in cleanup mode after having retweeted a video of a florida man in a golf cart protest in the villages in florida yelling white power white power um uh trump retweeted this and he added quote the radical left do nothing democrats will fall in the fall corrupt joe is shot i'll see you soon that's also um alarming language um senator tim scott of south carolina the only black republican senator called the video offensive and asked mr trump to take it off his twitter page and after that uh, happened trump deleted it less about less than a half an hour after mr scott's comments but he did not condemn the white power statement or specifically disavow the sentiment Uh, expressed by his supporter. 
Judd Deere, a White House spokesman, said Trump is a big fan of the villages. He did not hear the one statement on the video. Mr. Deere uh, said what he did see was tremendous enthusiasm from his many supporters. Uh, it doesn't you don't have to watch the video for a long time before they start shouting white power, white power. So either he watched it without the sound on and just tweeted it and thought it was OK to do that without checking. Or this is I what I personally think is this is all the front page news right now. And it's taking the eyes off of the Russia story that dropped this weekend from The New York Times and others. Um but as as horse whisper, this is a big damn deal, though. I mean, I don't mean to call, you know, the president retweeting somebody shouting white power, white power, a distraction. But we aren't we're no longer talking about the Russia story. We got to keep pushing that story through as well as this one. They're they're both news. And, and as horse whisperer said on Twitter after this incident, that isn't a dog whistle. It's just a whistle. So uh, I I concur. And uh I'm I'm uh, we'll see what happens as the news cycle continues this week, uh, which stories keep getting amplification and which ones sort of disappear. Uh, and if 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 this was meant as a distraction, we'll know by midweek where that Russia story is and, and where this story is. But both are, I think, very important to amplify uh, just that the president supports this, which we know he already did. But I mean, the guy says white power, white power. It's not. I mean, I mean, I guess before saying good people on both sides with people chanting Jews will not replace us, like that's less offensive. But here we are. Um, All right. Well, we'll be right back with more news after this quick break. uh, So stay with us. Hey, everybody, this Helping a Daily Beans is brought to you by Ancestry.com. It has been more than 75 years since many courageous soldiers, maybe even someone in your family, left home to fight for the highest possible purpose. Explore Ancestry's new collection of untold stories from World War II, and then find and honor the veterans in your family who served. Uh, You may be familiar with the major events and battles of World War II, but there are so many more stories to uncover. You can discover the diverse perspectives of those who were there and learn about the untold stories of the men and women who faced World War II with dignity and courage. The skill and bravery of the Tuskegee Airmen, for example, that's an all-African-American squad of fighter pilots, or the incredible women who trained to become pilots and mechanics, or the Japanese-American battalion that became one of America's most decorated units despite massive discrimination against Japanese-Americans at the time. In honor of the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, Ancestry has just released a U.S. draft card collection from World War II with over 36 million draft cards completed by fighting-age men in the United States across the country during that time, whether they ended up serving or not. So there's a great chance that you could find your relatives in this collection. Uh, And it can help you learn more about what their lives were like. You can uncover your ancestors' personal details, uh, which this draft card collection shows details like home address and physical description and more. So find and honor the veterans in your family who rose to the occasion when the world needed them the most and get a new take on their World War II experience. Discover your untold stories and more. Head to our URL at Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans to start discovering your story today. That's Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, All right. So this weekend, uh, as you probably have heard, if you've been watching the news, we saw record numbers of new coronavirus cases and hospitalizations Uh, in Maricopa County, for example, where Phoenix is in Arizona. They are seeing over 2000 new cases per day, which is on par with New York City during the peak of their curve. Uh, And Florida is now seeing over 10,000 cases a day, again, on par with New York State during the height of their outbreak back in April. Uh, Despite these record numbers, we had a coronavirus task force briefing for the first time in two months uh, over this weekend, where Pence told us a bunch of bullshit, basically. He said, we're doing fabulously. We have flattened the curve, he said, in the United States, which is an outright lie. Um, We have not flattened the curve. Uh, Joe Biden's campaign on Sunday denounced Vice President Pence for his scheduled trip to Dallas today on Sunday, saying it epitomizes the dismissive attitude that the Trump administration has taken towards addressing the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, Pence visited Texas Sunday to receive an on-the-ground report from officials about the surge in coronavirus cases throughout the state. He's also scheduled to speak in an event at First Baptist Dallas, a church led by Pastor Robert Jeffries, during the visit. Uh, Pence's trip comes just days after Texas Governor Greg Abbott paused the state's reopening. Uh, Didn't close anything, just paused the reopening and ordered bars to close uh, in response to escalating coronavirus cases, which he did after that. Uh, And because of the escalating hospitalization stemming from COVID-19, Bettingfield said that the outbreak in Texas and other parts of the United States exemplified Trump's the Trump administration's failure to get Americans, including Texas, the testing they need or offer an effective reopening plan based in public health and science 
and this has now exacerbated the pandemic in communities across the country. Uh, quote, the agonizing reality in Texas right now is that COVID-19 cases are on the rise and hospitals are nearing ICU capacity. Uh, I just read, for example, in Houston, they're at 100% capacity uh, in their ICUs. Uh, however, they stopped reporting. Um, it depends on Friday, briefed reporters, uh, like I said, that the U.S. response to the crisis um, was wonderful, uh, despite now um, that briefing coming the same day as the U.S. reported more than 40,000 cases in one single day. Um, that is a record. And uh, our, our, you know, tw- more than 20,000 was concerning uh, previously. Pence acknowledged that there are 16 states with rising cases and rising percentages of total tests that are positive. But he noted that daily deaths from the virus continued to fall and argued that the U.S. was in a better position than a few months ago. Uh, Health experts have warned that the deaths are a lagging indicator and will increase over time. Uh, As of Sunday, Texas health authorities have reported more than 143,000 confirmed cases and about 2,300 deaths caused by it. Before pausing the state's reopening, Abbott implored state residents to stay home, saying because the spread is so rampant right now, There's never a reason for you to have to leave your home. And from the New York Times, younger people are making up a growing percentage of new coronavirus cases in cities and states where the virus is surging. This is a trend that is alarming public health officials and is prompting renewed pleas for masks and social distancing. Uh, In Arizona, where drive-up sites are overwhelmed by people seeking coronavirus tests, uh, people aged 20 to 44 account for nearly half of all cases. In Florida, uh, which, I as I said, breaks records for new cases every day, the median age of residents testing positive for the virus has dropped to 35, down from 65 in March. And in Texas, uh, again, where Abbott paused the reopening process on Thursday, uh, young people now account for the majority of new cases in several urban centers. In Cameron County, which includes Brownsville and the tourist town of South Padre Island, people under 40 make up more than half of the newly reported cases. This pattern is drawing notice from mayors, governors, and public health officials and comes as a worrisome sign for cities and institutions as they look to the fall. Uh, The rise in cases among younger people could complicate the plans of leaders who are eager to open schools and universities and resume athletic events and return to normal life and fully functioning economies. Um, I don't see that happening. Uh, The increases could reflect a simple reality. Since many states have reopened bars, restaurants, and offices, the coronavirus has been allowed to spread more widely across communities, including to young people. Uh, But people in their 20s and 30s are also more more likely to go out socializing, according to experts, raising concerns that asymptomatic young people are helping to spread the virus to more vulnerable Americans at a time when cases are surging dangerously uh, in the South and in the West. Uh, And speaking of Texas, The Supreme Court said Friday it would not require Texas to let all eligible voters vote by mail. The Texas Democratic Party and several voters had urged the court to reinstate a federal trial judge's injunction requiring state officials to allow voters, and not just those who are 65 or older, to submit their ballots by mail. Especially in the light of this uh, reporting coming out that increasingly it's, it's young people. Uh, They relied on the 26th Amendment, which lowered the voting age to 18, and said the right to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any uh, state on account of age. Uh, The court's brief order gave no reasons, uh, which is typical when the justices rule on emergency applications, and there were no noted dissents. Justice Sonia Sotomayor issued a statement saying that the questions in the case raised weighty but seemingly novel questions regarding the 26th Amendment. Uh, But she said the court was right not to address those questions in the context of an emergency application. She said, I hope that the Court of Appeals will consider the merits of the legal issues in this case well in advance of the November election. So emergency to SCOTUS. SCOTUS says no. Go through the regular courts. Hopefully you'll have a decision before November. And while all this is going on, the Trump administration's Department of Justice has filed a brief with the Supreme Court in its ongoing fight for the last couple of years to gut the Affordable Care Act. But now we're in the middle of a global health crisis. Former Solicitor General Neil Katyal, who I just recently had on, on, on the Daily Beans, pointed out on Twitter that longtime career Deputy Solicitor General Ed Needler's name is missing from Trump's brief, while it was on the two prior DOJ Affordable Care Act briefs filed by the same office under Obama. 
Neal says, Needler, quote, Needler is the most experienced Supreme Court advocate alive, having argued close to 150 cases. He is as non-political as anyone anywhere and is considered the conscience of that office. I certainly have never worked with someone finer. Where is he? And while I'm at it, Katyal says, also note that no other agencies like the Health and Human Services Department, for example, signed this brief. Again, unlike the two prior briefs. Embarrassing. Unquote. Trump recently said not to worry. Once he guts the ACA and kicks 20 million people off health care, he'll put in place a totally terrific and amazing health plan, which he failed to do despite Republicans holding the White House in both houses of Congress in the first two years of his presidency. Failed to do that. Republicans haven't had it come up with a health plan ever. And also this weekend from the Washington Post, uh, in the hours before Trump's rally in Tulsa, his campaign directed the removal of thousands of do not sit here, please stickers from seats in the arena that were intended to establish social distance between rally goers. According to uh, a video and photos obtained by the Washington Post and a, a person familiar with the event, you could see them, uh, these workers removing the stickers. The removal contradicted instructions from the management of the BOK Center. Uh, that the 19,000-seat arena in downtown Tulsa, where Trump held his rally on June 20th, um, and at the time, you know, coronavirus cases were rising sharply uh, in Tulsa, and Trump faced intense criticism for convening a large crowd for an indoor political rally, his first such rally uh, since the start of the pandemic. And as part of its safety plan, arena management had purchased 12,000 do-not-sit stickers for the rally intended to keep people apart by leaving seats open, uh, on the day of the rally event, the staff had already affixed them to nearly uh, every other seat in the arena when Trump's campaign told the event management to stop and then remove the stickers hours before the president's arrival. That's according to a person familiar with the event who spoke on a condition of anonymity. And um, but, you know, like I said, Washington Post has video of these people removing the stickers. And as rally preparations were underway, Trump's campaign staff intervened with the venue manager, ASM Global, and told them to stop labeling seats in this way. Doug Thornton, executive vice president of ASM Global, has told the magazine. Uh, they also told us they didn't want any signs posted anywhere saying we, shouldn't social, uh, saying we should social distance in the venue. Uh, according to Thornton, the campaign went through and removed the stickers. Interesting. No wonder he made you sign a waiver. That if you die, you can't sue him. And now for some uh, early good news. Amy Berman, Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, has denied Roger Stone's motion to delay the start of his prison term. He wanted to delay it until September 3rd. Stone, 67, had been due to surrender on June 30th to a federal prison in Jessup, Georgia, uh, while he appeals his November conviction on charges of lying and witness tampering in a congressional investigation. In an order uh, and a sealed opinion late Friday... Uh, U.S. District Judge Amy Berman Jackson granted a two-week delay. Um, prosecutors had not opposed Stone's request for delay until September 3rd. DOJ said it was fine with them, uh, saying the Justice Department's policy during the pandemic has been granting a 60-day extension upon defendant's request without respect to age or health. Uh, in, in a short public notice, Jackson said she agreed to a two-week extension with the reasoning explained in a sealed opinion. Uh, she asked whether both sides would agree to unseal that opinion next week. And we'll let you know what's in that sealed opinion as soon as we get it, if, if, if they agree to unseal it. So that's the latest in the COVID outbreak. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsor with the Good News Block. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. Uh, we all intend to eat healthy and it's where we're going to start, but no matter what we eat, we're still most likely not getting all of the essential nutrients we need on a daily basis. And it's really important during these times we keep our immune systems boosted. And that's why I want to share with you Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's Essentials has all the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, and it's all in their clean, absorbable forms. There's no shady additives or ingredients that can, you know, do more harm to your body than good. Just two easy-to-take capsules provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. Ritual Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin to help fill the gaps in a woman's diet from D3s to omega-3s. They have no nausea capsules, which are gentle on an empty stomach, which I love, and there's a mint tab to keep things fresh. Uh, Ritual uses vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, and gluten-free and allergen-free ingredients and is delivered directly to you in a subscription that's easy to start and easy to snooze. And it's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every month, no strings attached. Uh, I've been taking Ritual for over a year and a half. I'm an intermittent faster, and I'm on a paleo diet, usually. <laughs> Let me not so much during quarantine. 
Uh, but you know, there were big gaps in my in my diet, even though I was you know help being trying to be quote unquote healthy, and and so this really helped uh, fill those gaps. I get uh, great, uh, I have more energy. I get great sleep at night. Uh, it's it's just I love this multivitamin. It goes perfectly with the daily beans. And better health doesn't happen overnight. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. Fill the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash daily beans to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash daily beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're And joining me today for the good news, as always, is Jordan Coburn. How are you? Hello, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really, really excited for the good news. I don't know how it's going to sort of counteract all of the terrible news from the weekend, but um, I have faith in our patrons and listeners. So uh, kick it off for us. All right. First up from Rebecca, pronouns she, her. Rebecca says, I live in San Jose, California, the 10th largest city in the U.S., but always in the shadow of tiny San Francisco. Uh, While I have been unhappy with my city's police response to protests, including tear gas, many injuries from rubber bullets, and illegally holding no-bail protesters or taking them on COVID tours of local jails, we got some good news yesterday. Two of the city's high school districts are ending their contracts with SJPD for school resource officers. They acknowledged that safety wasn't increased by these officers. Rather, they were disrupting student learning and causing fear and anxiety, particularly among students of color. This move comes from a big push from parents and students around San Jose to lobby the boards. A third and much larger San Jose school district is promising to look at this issue in August. We just need to keep up the pressure. That is a huge win as far as I'm concerned. I know some of our listeners feel a bit split on that, but I am uh, with you, Rebecca. I think that that is indeed good news. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yes, thank you, Rebecca. Um, I have here from Amanda, pronoun she, her. Today is a momentous day for me. After 11 years of on-call and short contract teaching, I accepted a full-time permanent teaching job. This means job security, more financial security, and some health benefits for me, and I cannot tell you how relieved I feel. Amanda, congratulations, and you have the hardest job ever. Um, And I thank you from the the bottom of the cockles of my heart for all Mm -hmm. that you do uh, to educate uh, our our youth, our two youths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Congratulations. That's so incredible. You're going to be a fantastic teacher, I am sure. Uh, I have a quick story anecdotally to tell about that. I saw direct action on an Instagram page that was to write your Department of Education for your state and just demand that they require a more full picture scope of black history is taught in schools and it's super easy to contact them. So if you haven't done that yet in your state, write them a personal email just asking i say demand but just saying hey you really need to fix your curriculum you're not teaching our history in schools and it has to stop and i did that and they responded two people responded to me very quickly actually one person was like thank you so much for writing this email we forwarded on to so-and-so person and then that person responded to me as well with all of these like very nice and uh, receptive emails which i found to be uh, really, really cool. And that also tells me that they're, those kinds of people probably are not currently getting flooded with emails, which means it is a good avenue for direct action for you to take advantage of right now. So look up your Department of Education for your state and consider shooting them an email um, just on the topic of teaching. Mm. Go schools. Yes. Next, up, next up from Anonymous, pronouns she, her. She says, hi, ladies. I had a this is why I teach moment today and wanted to share as my good news. I teach in Sydney, Australia, and we are back to -to face-to-face teaching after a period of remote learning. It has been a stressful time where many of us have felt unseen and expendable as far as our leaders are concerned. We have some changes to procedures, one of which is a staggered pickup time of students who are picked up from the large outdoor area. One of the unexpected bonuses of this has been being able to see all families who arrive, including older siblings picking up younger siblings. I've managed to catch up with a number of ex-students and find out what they are doing now that they are at university. Uh, it's great to ke- catch up with them because as primary parentheses elementary teachers, we are part of their early chapters but don't often get to see the ending. I work at a school in a very multicultural area where students are often trying to cope with moving to a new country and learn English in order to achieve 
Sometimes the fruits of all of our labors are not seen by the age of 11. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, one mm-hmm. one ex-student picked up her brother today. I haven't seen her since she left the school. I've taught multiple members of her family. They are Hazara background and arrived in Australia from Afghanistan via Pakistan as refugees. I taught the student when she was 10 and she struggled. She had received extra learning support and was slowly putting things together. I got to say hello to her today from one and a half meters away and asked her what she is doing now. Business and law at the local university. I was beyond thrilled. I know what her parents went through to get out of Afghanistan into Australia. They couldn't help her or her siblings with their education. Business and law. Our diversity is our strength, and I felt today so proud to have been a small part of her journey. Thanks for all you do. I've listened to MSW and Bean since 2018. Because of you, I now have an endless supply of knowledge about the U.S. political and legal system. I also know way more about Matt Gates and Devin Nunes than I'm like. <laughs> There's not much of an audience for my new knowledge here, but I was able to educate my hairdresser on voter suppression the other day. Stay safe and know that you have people around the world listening, watching, and wishing you well. My Super Space Beans mug sits next to a San Diego mug in my cupboard. One day I may make it back over there. That is awesome. Yeah, that whole thing is so awesome. Thank you so much, Anonymous. Mm. That's so rewarding it must be as a teacher all around, but especially in moments like that when you get to circle back and see how everyone's doing. Well, well done. Yeah, when you get that uh, Mr. Holland's Opus moment, you know. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Uh, all right, uh, next one from Amy pronouns she her i listen to you daily in oklahoma city oklahoma i am a mom of two young men 13 and 14 i'm the executive director of civics education nonprofit we provide curriculum and teacher professional development and coaching to facilitate action civics in the classroom awesome Uh, basically learning civics by engaging with actual policy around issues students care about Uh, generation citizen started on the coasts and came to oklahoma much by happenstance and my persistence uh, at the very core, our work is student voice and ensuring young people are part of the present policy, not just considered future leaders. That's so cool. Um, I am often asked, why Oklahoma? And I typically quote one of my favorite Oklahoma authors, uh, Rilla Eskew. Quote, Oklahomans reflect the whole of the American paradox. Our selflessness and keen self-absorption, our conservatism and revolutionary impulses, our modernity and deep ingrainedness in the past. We are a generous people, compassionate, self-sacrificing, capable of great heroism, decent, violent, filled with prejudice, profoundly and pridefully independent and sentimental. Uh, This week changed my answer as to, you know, of the question, why Oklahoma? I live in Oklahoma City, where the first sit-ins happened, by, uh, led by a civics teacher, Clara Looper, and her students in the summer of 1958. This past Sunday, Father's Day, my family and I attended a student-led Black Lives Matter rally at Frederick Douglass High School. The stadium was full of parents, teachers, and students of all ages for an incredible rally of solidarity and witnessed Mrs. Jackson, one of the Looper's students and longtime activists, uh, joined OKC Black Lives Matter Reverend uh, T. Cherie Dickinson in passing the torch to Oklahoma City students who organized today's BLM student rally. The adult leaders asked for forgiveness in the harm caused by not including student voices before they were approached and admitted they had hoped to be passing on something different to this generation. It was a powerful moment of intergenerational reconciliation, and I'm so proud of the students in this city. Change is coming. They are our present, and the present is theirs. Uh, Much more to come from these young leaders. I bring this today as good news because people in the middle of the country are raising their voices. Students are declaring their vision for their community. People are angry here, too, and change is happening. So thanks for all you do. I hope you keep hearing and sharing stories of our young people bringing about the world they want to live in. Love it. That's massively amazing and wonderful. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. Thank you. Um, our final piece of good news for today comes from anonymous pronouns he him good news and or confession this year is the first time I've ever actively donated money to politicians I've donated to Elizabeth Warren when she was still in the race now I've donated to Joe Biden I'm especially pouring money into my Maryland District 1 House of Representative race our rep Andy Harris is a medical doctor that votes against anything that is good for his constituents he is deplorable (laughs) and a Trump ass kisser I was excited about the Democratic primary this year because all the candidates were female. Among them were a nurse, a single mom that owns a small business, and an out-retired Army and Navy veteran. 
I've been fortunate enough to remain employed and work from home during most of the COVID-19 crisis. I want to help more, but I'm terribly introverted and don't feel comfortable doing phone banks, so I throw money at the campaign. I plan on maxing out my contributions before November to try to rid my district of the Red Scorch. <laughs> yes. AG, Jordan, and Mandy, you've helped keep my hope alive for our very broken country. MSW and the Daily Beans has helped me increase my knowledge of politics and make me want to get involved. Thank you for all you do. Thank you awesome. so much. I totally get that introverted thing. And money mm-hmm. speaks in this country. So that is very, very, very helpful. Yeah, especially in these local district races, these mm-hmm. rep races. It's really, really important that they have the money that they need to pay their staffs and continue their campaigns. It's extremely mm-hmm. important what you're doing. So thank you for that. Um, and, you know, I, I I do. I feel that, too. Um, and talk about maxing out your contributions before November, pace them out too. remember to pace them out because you can continue to give until you hit that. Uh, it's 2,600, I think is the, is the mark per candidate. So thank you for that. We appreciate mm-hmm. it very much because this election is the fucking election, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. <laughs> we're going to beat him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but act we like, beat them all. but act like we're not. Yeah. <laughs> totally um those are the good news stories you can continue to send in your good news stories by hitting us up on our pin tweet on twitter at daily beans pod or you can go to our website by searching daily beans podcast or muller she wrote or quarantine confessions it's also where you can submit your confessions for the weekend show um any any other uh final thoughts jordan i got nothing for today nope nope Uh, me neither other than uh i hope that everyone has a really good week this is going to be a a tough week uh, as far as coronavirus goes, as far as the Russia story goes, as far as uh, reconciling the white power tweets from the president. Um, it's it's and, you know, we may see the tax, the Trump tax returns, uh, maybe not Monday morning, uh, but maybe Thursday or Friday, if not uh, next week. It's going to be a lot and things are going to get loud and, and louder, I should say, from the other side. And there's going to be a lot of oppressive and terrible commentary uh coming from this administration and i just i hope everybody braces for it um listen to the daily beans we'll give it to you straight and uh funny with swearing so that it maybe goes down a little easier um anyway thank you all i hope you have a wonderful week we'll see you tomorrow uh until then take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been ag i've been jordan coburn and them is the beans The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joelle Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.